Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. Greetings, dear listeners. Today's episode is part 13 of a continuing series on realskiers.com called The Making of a Skier. While the series begins with my earliest memories of life on the snow, it is not presented chronologically thereafter. This episode casts a light on the day I graduated from Yale, which may sound as interesting as an instructional video on how to lick stamps, but this isn't your normal graduation tale. The time is 1972. The place is the campus of Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut. The event, the annual graduation ceremony. We drop in on the proceedings as I'm preparing to lead the parade of undergraduates around the ceremonial grounds. What, pray tell, does any of this have to do with skiing? Because I skied for Yale for three years, and almost immediately after graduation, headed to Colorado to seek my fortune. As a philosophy major, I didn't suspect my studies to be much of an entree to the job market. A quick assessment of my marketable skills came up with exactly one. I knew how to ski. So off to Colorado I went. But first I had to graduate from Yale, a hurdle I kept setting higher with each passing semester. I hope you enjoy my recounting of my unlikely graduation. I wasn't supposed to be in the first row of the class of 1972's pre-commencement parade through the Yale campus, but then our small undergraduate college, Jonathan Edwards, wasn't supposed to win the award for highest collective academic achievement, the cherished something or other cup, I'm sure none of us knew the name of, then or now. Our master, Beekman Kernan, held the lot of us in low regard, more on this later, so the announcement that his college had won the rare honor of leading the phalanxes of soon-to-be graduates around these hallowed grounds had left him at once elated and aghast. So, however providentially, I stood at the very head of this army of clever lads and lasses. My most pressing issue was a broken suite of buttons on my grandfather's archival trousers that I had chosen to wear in lieu of the traditional cap-and-gown affair. Two other imminent graduates were busy attending to the needed repairs just below my belt as my manual dexterity was in question. You see, to add some color to the occasion, I'd dropped a hit of mescaline just before heading into New Haven from my off-campus digs. When I say I wasn't supposed to be where fate had delivered me, I'm not exaggerating for cheap effect. Two weeks prior, I was 16 papers and my orals shy of the requirements needed to graduate, with or without any sort of distinction. This was no cakewalk, academically speaking. As my major was philosophy, I was wading into deep waters no matter who I selected as the subjects of my three-hour grilling, so I took my chances with Hegel, Kierkegaard, and Nietzsche. With 16 papers still on the to-do list, I could only afford three days to prep for orals, so I was uncertain of my prospects as I sat before two professors who looked better prepared than I was. Miklos Vetu, a Hungarian professor whose genius had first drawn me to the subject, asked the first question. His accent, as thick as goulash, rendered his query incomprehensible. Great start. <laughs> Sweating like I'd just run the hundred-yard dash, I asked him to kindly repeat it, which he patiently did. How would each philosopher describe the self? God only knows how, but I pulled out of the ether the analogy of a movie flickering on a screen, came up with three versions of where the self would be in this scenario, and I was off and running. Three hours later, I had nailed down honors in my field, 
the other attending professor calling my performance the finest orals he'd ever heard. Phew, only 16 papers to go. If that sounds like a lot for spring semester of senior year, I confess I had to sign up for seven courses when most of my classmates had whittled their requirements down to three or four. I also left town for roughly four days a week during my final semester to race on the Yale ski team, which reduced the available hours to study. Then I lost my glasses in Long Island Sound diving after an errant football pass, and as my glasses were as thick as telescope lenses, they took two weeks to replace, which threw another wrench into my course management plans. Anyway, I won't drag you through the details, but the smart money being bet over lunch in the J.E. dining hall was against my meeting the looming deadline. The first three term papers required actual research, which slowed me down, but the next ten went quickly as they consisted of reviews of experimental films. If you're following along, we're down to three papers, the last of which was a take-home sociology final. I wrote out my answers longhand, but when I tried to type, I couldn't hit the keys. In the quaint era of my upbringing, every errant keystroke meant a page ruined. As I hadn't slept in roughly a hundred hours, the smart money was looking safe. That night, dinner at Jonathan Edwards was a formal affair where the Robert Dudley French Award was won by my freshman year roommate, Scooter Libby, while I toiled in delirious obscurity in Cozy Beach. When my housemates returned, I coaxed Alan Carney into transcribing my scribbles in return for one quart of Ballantine ale per typed page. I turned in the final the following morning, beating the deadline by a comfortable couple of hours. To understand why Beekman Kernan would later publicly convey his disappointment in a system that allowed the likes of me to succeed, it helps to have a bit more context. You see, Beekman and I had a fractious relationship, born primarily of my disinterest in both rules and traditions. At Andover, parenthetically, I'd spent nearly every semester on either posting or probation before graduating cum laude, warming up for my time with Beekman. Allow me to illustrate with a few strokes. Jonathan Edwards College was built in Gothic Revival style around a grassy, hedge-lined greensward. Beekman imagined undergraduates would woo some lass from the Seven Sisters by reading her Browning or Yeats while they sat demurely on a blanket. Our class instead used it as a soccer pitch with minimal rules enforcement, turning Beekman's dreamscape into, in his immortal words, a lugubrious morass. Consider the gauntlet thrown down. We had a printing press in the basement of J.E., where we published a modest journal called The Spider's Web, after a famous sermon by the namesake of our residence. We instantly retitled the next issue, The Lugubrious Morass, about which Beekman could do absolutely nothing but fume. God, I loved Yale, but not for the reasons I was supposed to. We had the Black Panther leadership on trial in town, riots in the streets, the battle for co-education, the national college strike over the bombing of Cambodia, and the closing of the campus at the end of my junior year. I was in the thick of all of it. So, when on graduation day, Beekman Kernan was obliged to intone, John Elliot Green Hogan, cum laude, honors in philosophy, he extemporized, leaning into the mic, but dropping his voice a register to underscore his discontent. He added, there must be some mistake. 
Fortunately, my parents were in a beatific haze that suppressed their ability to hear Beekman's editorializing, and I somehow survived a lunch of roast beef that kept moving around my plate without my touching it. I didn't take it as foreshadowing at the time, but my follow-up conversation with the associate professor who had so admired my orals stuck with me. He was chucking academia for a while, heading to Jackson Hole to become a ski bum. I didn't want to follow that arc, working my butt off to score a Yale professorship, only to reject it and head to the mountains. Why not cut out all the striving and head to the mountains directly? So that's what I did. I stepped straight out of Yale and into a life of skiing. I went from New Haven to Breckenridge and tenuous employment at the Copper Mountain Ski School, where I was the 20th of 20 hires to staff it. We didn't have many students, and I didn't get much in the way of classes, so I quit shortly after the new year and worked on my budding freestyle skills. No one ever asked me again how Hegel, Kierkegaard, or Nietzsche felt about anything. This is Jackson Hogan, for Jackson illuminates everything about skiing. And allow me to remind you once more to please visit realskiers.com, the home of the best ski reviews on the net, and something close to 160 different essays on the skiing life. I think you'll enjoy it. This has been Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. Thanks for listening.